0: episode of Red Flags Podcast. We are happy to have you back.
1: Today we are doing a very special episode. This episode is um, with my dad, Justin, and we are so excited to have him here today. And this episode is going to be a two-part series for us. You're going to catch the first part today. And then in a couple days, you'll get to hear part two of this wonderful episode, which we have decided to call um, Life Lessons from an Unlikely Prisoner. Well, let's just, you know, how are you?
2: I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. You feeling yeah. good? You're excited I, to be here? I'm very excited to be here. Privileged. Honored.
1: <laughs>
2: I'm very proud of what you guys do.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so, I kind of just gave our little title away. So, if you don't already know from our Instagram promos, we are talking about today um, different life lessons that my dad has learned throughout his life, um, especially being incarcerated. So we're gonna actually take the time right now and Dad, we're gonna ask you a few questions about you know, personal life and backgrounds so listeners can get to know ya.
2: Okay, sounds good.
1: Sounds good. Okay, let's start off with a fun one. What did you study in college?
2: Uh, I studied psychology. And uh, about halfway through my degree, I actually uh, took all my pre-medical requirements. So I uh, added uh, all the hard sciences, physics and chemistries and biologies, anatomy, physiology. So I kind of had an interesting take. I wasn't just a social scientist perspective. I had the physical sciences kind of background that gave me an interesting viewpoint on on psychological stuff. But psychology is what I actually got my degree in.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... Kind of smart cookie, you'd say. (laughs) I I don't
2: know about that. (laughs) I I went to college.
1: Yeah, congrats. What we wanna do here is we're gonna ask my dad some personal background questions just so we can establish his credibility. Um, A lot of people, like when you read this title, you're gonna think you know, the person that's gonna be on this podcast that we're interviewing is some hardcore criminal, and that's not necessarily the case, I would say. You're more of an unlikely prisoner, as we like to call it.
2: That is true, that is true. I never thought that I would uh, find myself incarcerated. I led a a pretty law-abiding life my whole life. but uh, just out of consequence, I ended up committing a felony that uh, put me behind bars for uh, quite a bit, yeah. quite a bit of time. And so um, I brought kind of a unique perspective into the Nevada Department of Corrections because a lot of people who are regular criminals think very differently than your average person who's out there leading a law abiding life and just finds himself in that situation. So, um, yeah, it was a, a, un- I had a unique perspective on it for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm excited to have Justin on the episode to kind of normalize the idea of prisoners and that, you know, not everybody's a hardcore criminal. Some people end up there and they're just normal people. They're people like us. I'm just excited to talk to and get to know what your life was like and what you've learned there.
2: I'm I'm happy to share. And, you know, it's it's funny because it's not only just people like me that were pretty normal joes who found themselves incarcerated but you find that a lot of the uh, inmates who were regular criminals on the outside a lot of the times uh, and similar to my case uh, substances were involved the behavior they ultimately ended up undertaking you know uh, they're they're addicts and um, they have to fuel their addiction a lot of times and some resort to crime to do that but you get these same people into the prison system and you remove those substances that motivated them to do bad things. And you find that they're not really bad people, a lot of them. There are bad people in prison for sure. Um, but a lot of them are, are really talented, really smart, so creative, generally good people who through addiction found themselves uh, on a different side of morality. Um, but for the most part, um, there's a lot of good good people in prison that just through a different set of circumstances and consequence found themselves in prison. And then there are of course those prisoners who they're just not good people and they they just weren't raised right, they don't have good morals and they they there's a lot of them that commit crimes just because they enjoy it. And that's a small subset of the prison population. I'd have to say most of the prison population they're they're addicts who were put in a position to have to um to, to take care of an addiction, and some choose better methods than others. And they're not bad people. And yeah. even normal people like me, who I like to think that I wasn't a bad person, but I, I committed a bad act, if you will. I guess what I'm saying is that that, that not everybody in prison is bad, and even the normal guys um, coming in were normal, but we're not far off. Everybody else is in prison. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I mean, okay, then... While we're on this idea of a normal prisoner versus someone who is a hardcore criminal, I think it might be really helpful for our listeners if we kind of get into, you know, what was your life prior to going to prison? Like, what was your everyday kind of
2: what happened in my situation is i went to school i've always had a, um i had an accident where i tripped in a a manhole cover that was left open and it resulted in a pretty severe back injury that i subsequently had three lower back surgeries over about a 5 year period leading up to a two level spinal fusion, which is pretty heavy when pretty it comes serious. to pretty serious, yeah. yeah. I ended up in a chronic pain program and I was uh, prescribed uh, opiate pain medicine. And like anybody who starts on a regular treatment of opiate pain medicine, it's gonna go more than six months. It pretty much always ends one way and yep. that's in, in, in addiction. And it's, um, in my case, I was no different. Um, and you get to a point where you you don't know what your life like would be without that medicine, whether you'd be able to function at the level that you were because you think that because you have a chronic pain situation, you need to have that medicine just to function normally. And then once you actually addicted to opiates, now there's the withdrawal aspect of it that keeps you in the addiction because remove that medicine from your system and you get sick. And so um, it kind of... You know, not only do you feel like you might not be able to function physically because of your pain condition, but also now you know you can't function without pain medicine because you're so ill when you don't have it in your system. So that's kind of what led me into the road of addiction to opiates. And I was involved in an automobile accident uh, with a pedestrian. I hit a pedestrian and uh, I had opiate pain medicine in my system, which is um, illegal. And uh, I was uh, convicted of DUI. Um, causing death or substantial bodily harm and uh, I was sentenced to an 8 to 20 year prison sentence in the uh, Nevada Department of Corrections as a result of that.
1: And I think too um, a lot of the times we hear about you know someone going to prison, and we really think about that one specific person, and we don't necessarily think about the waves or the impacts that it creates for the other people in that specific um, prisoner's life, and for me, you know, that was my father, and so... I think it's really interesting today that we're gonna be able to share the different stories and experiences here and we're gonna be able to give it to you from this perspective of not only my father who was the one who went through all of these trials and tribulations of the, you know, Nevada Corrections Department, but also me as a family member having to see from the outside and those different everlasting effects that, you know, prison does have on people and everyone else around it right
2: when someone gets sentenced to prison it's not just the prisoner who who gets sentenced you know it taxes the whole family and everybody kind of goes through that ordeal together and of course there's a victim too And, you know, that's something that, that, you know, I don't know if this is the right time to bring it up, but I want to make sure that everybody listening understands that um, it it was horrible that as a result of my actions, uh, someone lost their life. And uh, that's not lost on me and not minimized at all, despite the the fact that we're not going to get too in-depth into what happened there. But the fact is, is that uh, when I was sentenced, I I wanted to make sure that, you know, I honored my victim's legacy and uh, her life and that... I came out of prison a better person, and that I did my time honorably, and that I paid my debt to society, and that I've tried to come out and be a, a better person and and help better others, all in the um, all in respect to the fact that um, I was addicted to pain medicine and I was on a really bad path. That I think, at the if I would have not had this intervention by fate, that I very likely could have ended up uh, dead because of. Um, because of an overdose. So in, in a way, there was a victim that lost their life, but never has it been lost to me that, that the loss of that life abs- absolutely saved mine. And so uh, I just want to make sure that everybody understands that um, that's an important thing to me is honoring my, my victim, um, because it was a, just a great tragedy there and a tra- tragedy for my family to have to go through and for her family to have to go through. And so yeah. all in all, it's just, um, it's been a long journey
1: yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that was gorgeous wow um so I think um for our listeners today uh you guys kind of know our how we do our episodes we have a brainstorm with our guests and it was kind of interesting because for this episode you know I talked with my dad about possibly coming in and doing an episode and I told him really it's up to his discretion and he came back with basically like a seven page it's four pages actually of just everything that he wanted to talk about like he did all of the dirty work for us so this is beautifully written and we thought the best way to kind of set up this episode was for us to read off a section that he wrote that he wanted us to focus on and hone in on and then from there we can have discussion with him. Um, ask him questions and kind of dig a little bit deeper. Like I said, this is a two part episode, so we're not going to cover everything in this episode, but make sure you listen to the next one. Um, so imagine this in, uh, Justin's voice, um, (laughs) even though he's sitting right next to me, but we'll just chalk it up to, I have a prettier voice, I guess. (laughs) Okay. Okay. These are practical life skills honed in prison. This will be posted on our link tree so you can read along there if you would like, um, or you can just listen to my amazing voice. The following list of practical life lessons is by no means earth-shattering in its scope or content. It is, however, derived from an experience that most will never live through. The experience of being stripped of your fundamental freedoms and liberties while being thrust into an environment rife with potential violence, misery, subjugation, and hopelessness. In 2012, I began an eight year journey through the Nevada Department of Corrections until the automobile accident that resulted in my conviction of DUI resulting in death. I had lived a generally law abiding life. I was not involved in a criminal lifestyle or actively involved with crime. I'm college educated, worked, raised my kids, paid taxes and for the most part had a normal American life. I believe my relatively normal life afforded me a perspective on the prison experience that can be useful for people in the free world when navigating their daily lives. Having been forced to live a long period of time in an oppression situation, I was surprised to have learned that aspects of that oppression when brought into my free life have led to deep satisfaction and fulfillment. The following are few of these basic principles. The first red flag that we're calling out today, or I guess you could call it life lesson, is this. Number one, when your fate is inevitable, accept it quickly and embrace your new normal. From the moment I was sentenced to my 8 to 20 year sentence, I never looked back. I did not dwell on the amount of time I was given or wallow in resentment. This was my fate. When I returned to myself from the sentencing hearing, I made verbal declaration to myself. I said aloud, well, this is your life now and it will be for many years to come. I will not allow this to change my fundamental character, but this is my new normal and the extent of my world. I will make the best of it. By accepting my fate quickly and not dwelling on what could have been, I was able to focus solely on the day-to-day minutia of prison existence and navigate it with the best chance of survival. So in your own life, recognize when an outcome is inevitable and quickly accept it without reservation that outcome. Adjust your thinking to your new normal. Work within that new normal and make the most of it. I'm not advocating giving up when things get tough, but rather recognizing fruitlessness efforts or goals and making sure you don't get bogged down in failure. This is so gorgeously written. Great job. It really is. Great job. Okay, so yeah, this first red flag for us. When your fate is inevitable, accept it quickly and embrace your new normal. Uh,
2: Right. So, you know, as human beings, we're uh, forever hopeful and we're abstract creatures and we uh, always like to uh, visualize ourselves... Uh, achieving great things, or, or being in a certain place in life, and um, sometimes uh, the reality doesn't jive with those expectations of of what you're trying to achieve. And you know there are times, and that's why I made sure I stressed in there that I'm not advocating giving up on dreams or anything like that. There are going to be tough times in your life when things aren't going right, and you have to push through and keep trying until you achieve what you're trying to do. But there are times in life when you need to recognize when uh, the outcome is inevitable. Uh, Things like bad relationships, especially, you know, when you've been going in a bad relationship for a long period of time, you keep trying to make this work, you keep trying to make this work. At one point in time, you have to step back and recognize that, hey, this is not in the cards. And, and the quicker that you come to accept your fate, uh, the quicker you can m- start to move on to the next phase of your life. And the idea is just to, to, to not look back and to place yourself back into a new normal. And then uh, everything changes because if you keep trying to pull your past back into your Present and those had failures in it. You're 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 not going to feel satisfied. And a lot of all this stuff that we're going to talk about, it, it it stems from simplification and, and and control and and driving fulfillment, extracting fulfillment out of out of, out of life. And so so much of our life, we're uh, out there seeking fulfillment from the outside. And people try to fill their time, and they're not introspective. And so much of of what I learned in prison was how when you strip away everything that you knew as your external world and you're left with nothing what really sticks with you is as being important and then realizing that simplification that occurred to you in prison led to you to really be able to take a condensed version of existence and really find peace and happiness in a place where you wouldn't expect to find peace and happiness. So I guess when it comes to recognizing an inevitable outcome, realize when that check moment comes and, and quickly move on and whether it's good or bad and accept it for what it is and slot yourself into your new normal. This is your new world and the extent of it, then it just will declutter your mental kind of existence.
0: I love that. I, I think this is something that we can all sort of relate to in the way that, you know, large changes will happen in our lives. And what we need to do is take a moment and like Ken and I like to say, check yourself, adapt to your situation. And the faster you can adapt, the faster you can learn to be happy. And I think that's a great lesson that
1: you learned and that we can all apply to our lives. We talk about this new normal and, you know, while I think a lot of our listeners might apply that to, you know, the new normal that we have right now with the pandemic, but I think more I want to adjust it and focus on like what was... You know, going from a normal everyday life, and maybe this is a question other people are wondering, I've wondered this a lot, and it was easy for me to just be able to ask my dad, but, you know, what was the transition like going from, you know, living in the free world, I mean, you say that you had to adjust to a new normal, like, what did that actually look like?
2: Uh, well, adjusting the new is the fact that you, you don't have immediate control over your existence. You have a very small world. You're surrounded by little things that you take for granted, uh, privacy and quiet. And um, <laughs> entertainment options, whether it be TV or, or, or anything like that, especially early on in your in your prison, because as you go through the prison system, especially in my case, you go from higher custody levels down to lower custody levels. And there, as you get further along into your prison uh, sentence and you've demonstrated that you're a model inmate, you know, you'll have more and more liberties opened up to you through the different um, the different institutions that you find yourself in, ranging from high Desert State Prison, for instance, which is a a medium max... Uh, situation where you, you can only get out and shower at certain periods of time and um, all the way up to uh, correction centers which you have a little bit more freedom and a little access to the gym and things like that and then all of a sudden you find yourself at a conservation camp where you have a job and uh, you there, when you reach uh, um, a community trustee level you can actually go out into the community and work under the supervision of, uh, of a trustee and um, you know there you, you get more and more freedoms but um The transition really is um god it 's um it 's all encompassing but but you know it's it 's adjusting to the new normal that you know when you 're out in the free world you have responsibilities or financial responsibilities you you have a job you know you have to pay your bills and um all of a sudden you find yourself where those things are are they 're not there you don 't you don 't have bills to pay and um next thing you know you have to Start looking around and go, Well, what's my purpose? You know, what's what's I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm warehoused, if you will, but um, all of a sudden, you don't have that direct, immediate, and obvious purpose for waking up every day. And so, just new, new normal for me was all the way from um, learning about the rules of prison and uh, how to stay safe and what you can and you can't do. And um, just making sure that my eyes were wide open, and I was always receptive to learning. Is I took my prison experience as as a job in a sense that I knew that I would have to um, I would have to learn quickly and learn as much as I could about this. It, there's a whole economy to prison, an underground economy. There's a whole way of life. There's a whole set of values. There's a and and all of a sudden, all the values that you thought were hard. kind of hard uh, understood in life and hard and fast rules those get thrown out the door and next thing you know you're learning new moral code you're learning um, who you can um interact with, uh, who you have to sit with. And I'm trying to avoid the racial thing. But the fact is, is if there's one place that race and racism is still very rife, and it's not even so much about racism in the traditional sense of, uh, well, this person is black, and therefore they're not better than me, or this person is Mexican, and therefore they're not better than me, or any of that. It's more about there's straight segregation in the prison system, and it's done for a reason it's done to maintain safety and control um from the from the prisoners um basically policing themselves so everything is you know um black sit in the black section of the cafeteria at black tables and and whites in the white section and there's certain th- and I, I i hope that this isn't offensive to anybody but this is the reality of the prison system unfortunately and again it doesn't it doesn't you can you can have pa- buddies you know i would work out with guys who were black and I I would, I would, all of this. Um, you have, you, your, your cordial and everything like that, but these these the races have to police themselves and they do that all to avoid race wars yeah. and so and it, they're still in prison there's segregation is really important so that's just one of the types of rules you know who you can sit with and who can cut your hair and who can't cut your hair and, and i don't get tattoos but who can give you a tattoo and so all these things and and what words you can use there's certain <laughs> there's certain um phrases that are used in general everyday life that in in the prison system um they're
1: Yeah, he's talking about like bitch, the word bitch.
2: Right, yeah. right, right. So <laughs> so in the in the prison and that's when one of the weird things talk about a new normal. So when you're outside and you see on the family guy and stuff like that and they regularly use the word bitch and stuff like that, if that was part of your vernacular when you went into prison, you could find yourself in really deep trouble really quickly if that stuff just roll off your tongue because in the prison system if you call someone a bitch or a punk there it's an immediate reaction there's yeah. going to be a fight and that person has to defend themselves at that point in time because there's no worse thing to be called in prison you can call uh, uh, someone an M- mf or you can call them a bastard you can call them whatever you want but those two <laughs> words you don't call somebody because yeah. it's it's put on them immediately that they have to take care of that situation and they're going to they're going to there's going to be a fight And if you don't immediately react to that, then you get labeled as weak and someone who's been willing to be called a bitch. And so that was one of those things that, you know, in normal daily living, you hear that thrown around all the time. And then I go to prison and I come out of prison. And now when I hear those words being thrown around, they sting my ears because over eight years in the prison system, You've trained yourself to hear that as a really bad thing, so that's just one example, kind of of like where <laughs> something that you take for granted in the normal world, your new normal is those are just outside of your your experience. Yeah. You just can't can't say that kind I, of stuff. I so. think
1: it's it's funny. This is just kind of a quick funny snippet, but in prison, the way that you know they're able to make phone calls is like you have to pay, and then like I would have to wait for him to call me, and like if I miss the phone call, like that's it. Um, which created a very stressful time for me. You know, like when you miss your phone call from like your mom, it's like 16 missed calls and like, oh no, something's gone wrong. For me, it was like, oh shit, my dad just spent this money to call me and I didn't pick up and when am I going to talk to him again? But what's funny on when I kind of started this is I remember one time my dad called me and I made a joke and I called him a bitch and he was like, what did you just call me? Like, are you, s-? he's like, oh no, you don't use that word around me. We don't use that word in here. And I was like, <laughs> like okay, Hey, that's so that's like an example I guess of adjusting to that new normal the new
2: normal yeah, yeah and I sure. say it
1: now and it really does sting his ears he doesn't like it he does not let me use it.
2: and Well, I, I fear too, just because there's some people who they come out of, the, of of prison and they haven't let go of the concept of what's behind that. And uh, I just, every time I hear somebody, like if they're angry or something like that and they, they, they call someone that, you just never know who you might be saying that to. Yeah. And they may have done time in prison. It may sting their, not only their ears, but it may sting their pride and it may sting their honor. And that's the thing that would force them in a situation where they feel like they have to defend their honor in that moment in time and you just let that roll off your tongue and next thing you know you've got some huge ex-felon beating the crap out of you and that's what always concerns me is that there are people out there that are like that that they they haven't let go of the the concept of why you in prison you know the the reason why you don't want to be called a bitch in prison obviously is the connotation that you're somehow uh, weaker right not just weaker but uh in the true sense of the word it's that you're a man and you're servicing another man right. and you're his bitch. his bitch so there's some guys that have come out of prison and, and that to them is still offensive to them even though they've hit the free world so yeah uh, i always that's one of the things why when i hear it out in public i always think to myself hey man you just never know you may say that to the wrong guy sometime yeah. and not know what's coming your way real fast so totally yeah
0: but.
1: Go ahead and let's get into the next uh, life lesson here. Why don't you read the next one for us, Callie? You can live with a lot less than you think and still
0: feel fulfilled. The commercial nature of our capitalistic society and its ubiquitous advertising perpetuates the idea that more and greater variety of choices is better and preferential to the individual. In prison, choice becomes extremely limited. From the foods you can buy at the commissary to the non-state issued clothing that you can purchase for yourself. You don't need to have 30 different toothpastes to choose from. Two or three is more than enough. I liked that once I chose an item, I needn't ever revisit that choice again. I wasted no more mental energy on the task of selection and could instead move on to living in the moment. In fact, I found that I consistently ordered the same things, in essence limiting the already limited offerings I do this now in my free life I get virtually the same things at the grocery store each week it makes shopping quick and easy and I don't waste a lot of mental energy on making choices that in the end don't make much difference in the grand scheme of things I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything and my basic needs are met. So in your life, check yourself when you are feeling inundated with choice. Realize that the need for choice is artificially created by marketers and that it's not important to the overall satisfaction and effectiveness of your life. Limit your choices so you can spend less time and mental energy on subtle nuance and more on living
1: in the moment. I love that you said check yourself in this. Uh And Callie brought it up earlier This is something we like to say a lot to our listeners Check yourself You're already using our slang um, and also, just when you talk about uh, artificially created by marketers, that's exactly what I'm studying to do.
2: Well, so. that's okay, and you know, I ha- you know, I had a a, a a career at one point in time in internet advertising and marketing. So yes, I, I'm not. That's one of the reasons why I understand that, and also at the same time, I don't. I'm not down on on marketing and advertising, and it's important. But I think what happens is that. Um, it's the ubiquitous nature of it is is that every time you look around you're being told that choice is good choice is good and and having a whole bunch of choices is important and that's something that you should prefer but the fact is is that um we need very little to really survive it's like for instance um being in prison, you know, you have a commissary sheet that you get, um, and it's, it's like seven or eight pages or whatever. And, you know, that's what you can order when it comes to food choices and hygiene choices and things like that. Yeah. Commissary,
1: so, is, it's like a little store, right?
2: Well, yeah, commissary is just a general term for a store, if you will. I mean, you don't go to a little store, but you you, you order, and then, um, you know, you. when I first started the prison system, you would order on, like, Scantron type sheets where you'd bubble in what it was you want and the quantities and that stuff gets submitted and then the next week you go to a, a building and they issue you the store that they had, uh, you know, because a lot of times they're out of stuff and everything like that and that's something that we'll touch on in this too but um, yeah, commissary is just... Is just basically you there's the state food that they give you the three squares that you get a day and I wouldn't square is just a a phrase (laughs) the food that they provide you and then you know um, you can have money put on your books um, and you can actually purchase things that kind of remind you that you're still still alive you know you can get Cokes and you can get candies and you can get ramen soup which is like what everybody knows about prison people live on top ramen (laughs) and stuff but you know and there's other choices there's there are choices, but it's not a vast, it's not a vast list of things. You know, there are multiple choices, of shampoos, for instance, you can get a dandruff shampoo or you can get a regular shampoo or, and you can get conditioner stuff. But usually of any one of those things, there's maybe one or two choices to choose from. But what I noticed is like the anxiety kind of that I felt when I first got back out on the streets of walking into a convenience store and the overwhelming sense of there was there was so much. And when you've only had to choose from just a few very options, you quickly realize that it makes you feel uncomfortable because it's kind of like it's like work. It's like, where do I where do I begin? You know, there's so much. The grocery store was really overwhelming for me. And so um, I find my found myself reverting back. Back to the way that I was in the prison system, which was, you know, I, I knew I only needed certain things, and I, for the last eight years, I've been living just fine with those certain things, and um, next thing you know, you know, you you, you go, hey man, this is, this is a lot easier when I just go in, I can go into the store, I, I can walk down the aisles, I can grab the same things I can be, and I never liked shopping to begin with, really, prior to my prison experience, <laughs> but I like it even less now, but I, I go in and um, it just makes it easy. And and the fact is that I get Ultra Bright toothpaste. It's like a, a buck, you know. And there's lots of all kinds of tar control and whitening and all this stuff. And I just don't want to waste the mental energy on that because the fact is, toothpaste with fluoride is going to prevent cavities, and that's what I really need. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so you know, the fact is is that that lots of choices create uh, work mentally to be able to determine what's right for you i see people labor in the in the grocery store in an aisle say the deodorant aisle and it can just be so much and if you really break it down just like i did with the toothpaste example there you know deodorant has a really basic function and um you could you could pretty much grab anything off the shelf and you'd be fine with that and you know i'm not saying that you got to be so uh, regimented that you 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 live just as you get the same things every single time there's some variance there but the fact is is that realizes that that choice really isn't natural in in the world i mean before the really advent of modern day advertising and mass media like television stuff like that, you weren't inundated with as much choice and it makes life simpler when you only have a couple of things to choose from. So create that, recreate that in your life where, you know, you may change up your toothpaste every once in a while or get a different hair gel or something like that. I keep talking about hygiene, but this is food, <laughs> food related items too. But, um, it's easier to enjoy the rest of life that's going on around you when you're not tricked into this idea that somehow you have to go through this laborious process of identifying the best set of characteristics of a product that meet exactly what I want and covered. It's, it's a exhausting. lot of, ex- it's exhausting. Yeah. And so, and life is going on outside that. And so just realize that, the um, that, I guess check yourself, as you guys would say, (laughs) and and realizes that a lot of that choice is created by advertisers and marketers um, because they want to differentiate their product from the others. The fact is they frame it in this idea that it's what you want or what you need as a consumer and as a person, and that's not, you don't you don't need that.
1: Well, I mean, I will say right here, right now, I am one of those people that will sit there in the deodorant aisle and look over <laughs> all of the different deodorants. And that's because, you know, I am so wrapped up in this marketing and advertising world. So I'm definitely one of those people And you're right. I mean, it is exhausting and it can be a lot. And I think if anyone in my life has told me that you can live with a lot less, it has to be uh, my dad. And which is kind of funny because my mom is like a crazy shopaholic. So I've got these two conflicting um, (laughs) ideas coming from polar opposites for sure. Um, So I, you know, maybe I meet somewhere in the middle, Um, but I definitely, for me, this is like a practical life skill that you know, I have yet to learn. It's definitely still working on, but it really does put it into perspective.
2: But keep in mind that this is all about the fact that despite having limited choices on the basic thing, necessities of life, um, even when you are left with the most rudiment kind of options, I was still found a lot of happiness and joy and fulfillment and I think that's really what that will kind of going back onto this the fact is that, that I realized that we you know we're, we're told that these things they make us happy when we get these products that have all these extra features and we get this new air fryer and we get this you know that these things bring us happiness and joy and fulfillment and contentment and the fact is is that I realized that when, when all that stuff is stripped away you find a sp- the real kind of fulfillment, and that has nothing to do with having your basic necessities of food and hygiene in life met, um, yeah. that, that those things aren't the answer, and that that you're never gonna drive that much satisfaction from participating in the market economy. That's, things aren't gonna be it. And I know that's, that's a cliche type idea. Of course, everybody knows that, you know, it's not about what you have, not the material things, but, you lose sight of that because everywhere you turn around, you're being told we got this and it has these features and this will make your life better and this will make you skinnier and this will make you smarter. And and you just start to realize, think like that I need to have some of that in my life to find happiness. But I realize is that in the grand scheme of things, all that stuff drops away and it really comes down to meeting the basic necessities of your life. And when you do that, when you're just and you're not getting lost in whether you got the right stuff or the best stuff you all of a sudden are what's left is hey man I'm I'm at peace with with where I'm at right now
1: yeah Yeah. I think too even to go one step further like just off of like basic you know necessities and not needing much more past that I think an important aspect of that is also the relationships that you have obviously I've never been through this but maybe you can help touch on this for us um but like When you have those basic freedoms stripped away and you're only left with like, you know, food and shelter and things like that, I would say that the communication you have and the relationships you have with people on the outside become so much more important
2: absolutely that's what's funny because you go to one of your loved one's house and stuff like that and sometimes the tendency is to want to turn your attention outward and uh, maybe there's entertaining going on in the sense of dinner and things like that and then all of a sudden you know you feel like you know you're a host to your loved one and when you shouldn't feel that way when it should just really if you drop away everything externally and you know what are you doing in your life and where are you at and I'm getting a new car this or that and all of a sudden you just sit and be with that person yeah and just be in the same room and the fact that you can see them and they can see you and you're there together that's that's really what it's it's about and yeah you don't 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 turn it outward and it's okay to sit in silence with your loved ones and not say anything the fact that you're just right there in their presence when they you don't have that um, luxury afforded to you you really can see the value of just being able to share the same room with someone that you love
0: yeah totally i'm no longer religious but one of my favorite quotes from when i was religious was something to the effect of there's another way to spell love and that's t-i-m-e um spending time with your loved ones is so important and i think often in holiday seasons, it's kind of hard to distinguish behind like seeing someone and spending time with them. Um, and a relative came over to my house yesterday and we ate a really quick lunch and then she had to dip out really fast. And like, yes, I got to see her, but I didn't get to like spend time with her. Um, and it was a great experience because today she came back and said hi. Um, but I don't know it's a lot more valuable and you'll look back on those memories rather than the time that you went and sat on your grandma's couch for 3 hours and played on your phone you yeah. know yeah
2: right yeah yeah I mean well we you know we're it's hammered into us to be goal directed right and and it there's a time when you've got to let go that you've been told that you always need to be making the most of your time and, you, and that there's a reason, specific reason why you're all getting together. And then the reason is because you're getting together to have dinner and then, then dinner is going to lead to dessert. And then you're, you're going to want to have some side sort of entertainment afterwards. And maybe that's watching a movie together. And then everybody's got their pacifying devices and things like that. And um, all kind of leaning back to, hey, there has to be a reason why we're all just sitting here together in this same room. But the fact is, is it has nothing to do with any of that goal It's simply about just being there and sharing the same air and the same space and the same lighting and just being there and realizing that you've 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 got people that love you and that you love them.
1: Yeah. Well I think for me this is definitely a, a life lesson that I have not only, you know, put as like a key aspect of, you know, what I stand for, but you know for so long and this is kind of coming from the perspective of being the daughter of someone who wasn't able to be there in my everyday life um for many years you know, you start to realize that, you know, even just, you know, going over to your friend's house and their parents are like sitting down to a meal together. Um, it, it becomes a lot different to you. Like you start to cherish those things. And when you go over to your friend's house and they don't want to, you know, spend time with the family, they want to go up to their room and just hang out to me. That kind of always like turns me off. I'm like, no, like I want to be a part of the family. I want to do all of those things. Like let's spend time with your parents. And that's something that I've really had to learn. And I really advocate that to all of you listeners out there is that those relationships you have, even if it's with your grandma who like it's sometimes it's awkward to be over there and sit down and have a conversation with you with her, you know, those things are the most important. And you start to realize when you can't physically see someone or hug them or be in the same room with them to have a conversation, you have to wait for a 30 minute phone call, you know, once a week those things become the most important things. And I will never again take for granted the time that I get to spend with not only my dad, but all of the loved ones. And, you know, it makes holiday seasons that more memorable just to be able to, you know, come over to my dad's on Christmas, whereas before it was, you know, just a mere phone call. So, you know, take the time, not only this holiday season, but just for the rest of your lives, I would say, like, take the time to actually sit down With someone in your life that's personal to you that you love and support and, you know, listen and have a conversation with them and just express the gratitude of just being able to, you know, see them in person, especially with hard times that we are in right now. Like, if you get to see someone, you know, make the most of it.
2: Just be with them. Yeah. Just be.
1: Yeah. Totally. I like what you said, Kenna, about kind of
0: finding friends that feel the same way about like their family or, you know, family members who feel the same way um, and cherish the time they can get with their families. And something I... Recognized one of the first times I met Kenna was um, Justin actually called her on the phone, and everyone was like, "Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Like Kenna missed this call," and I like didn't really know why it was such a big deal because I wasn't close with Kenna yet, and um, I was just like, you know, I don't understand why it's a big deal, but I've had my own like distance between myself and my father. He lives in California. Um, And so it was nice to see that our mutual friends respected the bond between like a father and daughter and the space between them. And, you know, it was we all felt for Kenna when she missed that call because like we knew how important it was to her. Um, And so I think it's really important to find people who share the same values as you in that that sort of realm of life. Yeah,
2: yeah and, and that's something that, you know, if it took me being in prison and being physically separated by the, from, by the law uh, for her to have to feel like how important it was if she for me to call and how much she, she would be upset if she missed my call. But there's no reason why that can't. That, that's the same view that you should have when you miss a call from your dad on any given day. Right. You totally. know, it should be something like, man, that's a person that's important to me that I love that's, that's just, they're a part of me, I'm a part of them and and you should you should you should feel the same way when you miss one of their calls and if you could only recreate that in your life it would make stronger relationships with the people who are really important to you if you took it took it to heart like that.
1: Yeah. I love that. Well, and I think just, you know, in this buzzing fast paced world that we have now, it is so easy to not only like lose track of time, but to, you know, make plans with someone, those plans fall through and then you don't see them for like four to six months. And you're like, oh man, that time got away from us. Like, where did it go? Um, but you know, we do get caught up so much in this, you know, nine to five work life. And I just want to be one of the, the first people to say that you know even though we have this established capitalistic idea that you know 40 hours a week is what you need to work I mean that's just ridiculous and no human should have to work 40 to 60 hours a week to barely provide for their family but you know we can get so caught up in going to work and coming home and cooking dinner and going to sleep and doing it all over again and you know if you're like Callie and I throw in the idea of school on top of that that we forget to take the time to have those small moments and you know while it is important to be successful and to go to work and take care of yourself it's also important to just sit down sometimes and like just actually sit down and have a conversation with someone and ask someone how their day is and then actually care to like listen to the answer past just i'm good um and so i think that's the the big thing that i'm going to take out of this life lesson here um again you listeners can take whatever you want out of them i think this next lesson will be great with what we're talking about Um, I'm going to read here for a second, so bear with me. So, life lesson number three. A small world provides a manageable reality and subsequent peace. Oh, look at that perfect transition here. Okay. In prison, your whole world shrinks. Your home becomes a 6 by 10 cell you share with another man. What little personal belongings you have must be organized in such a way that you and your cellmate can live comfortably within the confines of your cell. In prison, being unkempt and disorganized can be dangerous. While living in such close quarters can take some getting used to, you come to appreciate a Spartan way of life. Lack of clutter and order reduce mental fog and lead to overall sense of control and manageability of your environment. This effect is heightened when experienced over a long period of time, years in my case. The longer one lives within a small existence, the more peaceful and fulfilling the rest of life becomes. In essence, you can extract more fulfillment from new experiences that fall outside of your small world because the novelty of those experiences now present themselves in almost a concentrated form. So in your own life, don't be a collector of things for things sake. Let go of this tendency of ours to hold on to physical stuff. I'm not advocating living in a tiny house or a stark cabin in the woods somewhere, but rather minimizing the amount of belongings that occupy your immediate space. This principle of a small world goes farther than just physical stuff. It readily crosses over into life experience as well. Our society has made one believe that you have to keep a lot of novel experiences to have enjoyed life. Things like traveling the world and bucket lists perpetuate the idea that satisfaction comes from a broad and varied experience. This is bullshit. This idea that you have to do a lot of different things fosters the false belief that you're missing out on something. The fact is, you're not missing out on anything. Fulfillment comes from deeply experiencing the moment at hand and, and activity that you can find yourself in. In prison, this manifested itself in the absolute joy of going to yard to exercise or getting a gym day. Those things became deeply satisfying and the level of satisfaction derived from they were heightened because it was one of the few experiences outside of your daily living that we could choose to do. So, in your own life, resist the temptation to believe that you are missing out on something when you don't have vast and varied experiences. Choose a minimal amount of extracurricular activities and do them regularly. Extract the most from limited experience and ignore the false belief that more fulfilling experiences lie somewhere else in another place in time. I love this life lesson. I do too. I think we can chop this one up to uh, FOMO or fear of missing out, if you will.
2: I, I guess, yeah, I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> but that's true, though. I mean, uh, the fact is, is that we do. We're constantly being told that somehow. You know, life is about all these experiences, and that's what, think about, think about, um, you know, what people post, uh, um, post on Facebook, and they're, they're, they want this, when someone goes to their profile on, on Facebook or Instagram, they want to see them doing all of these things, right? Yeah. And uh, people want to, they have their bucket list of all these things they have to choose, but when you really get down to it, you know, just like having choice in the grocery store and then having things, you um, that's not what's going to lead to fulfillment in your life. And if you keep thinking that somehow you need to do that, it puts a lot of pressure on you in your life to be able to not only find the time, but find the money and and and, and plan and, and, uh, and make this whole life so that you can check something off the list so that you can say, oh, I did this. But, you know, the f- fact really is is that if you just sit back and... Realize that life is right here right now in the moment and When you strip away All that extra pressure you can find fulfillment in just something really simple and something really basic something that you do regularly and um, You know fight that temptation to believe that you're missing out and that you're not leaving leading a fulfilling life because you're having those experiences and when it comes to manageability of your life We do collect things, and there's... To tell you, man, over t- when you, you think that well, if you're in life and you got just you, know, you got one pair of shoes, you got your pair of shoes that are your yard shoes. When you go out and work out, and you got your pair of shoes that you wear when you go to chow and you go to commissary, okay. you just got two pairs of shoes, and you've got seven pair of boxer shorts, and you got your gym shorts that you work out in, and you got your gym shorts that you hang out in the cell, and and all of a sudden that's all you got, and you got two little boxes that slide underneath your bed. You would think that that would be like you know that would be anxiety producing but it's the exact opposite all of a sudden all those things of, of, of choice they're gone and and you have this it's easy to to move around your new environment and when you look around there's there's really nothing there so what do you focus on you focus on the moment because yeah. you're not looking around at clutter and uh, you know there were guys in prison who had cluttered cells and they would always find themselves on the wrong end of their cellies wrath and they'd end up getting eventually celled with somebody who was a pack rat too um, but but for the most part, people live these really Spartan lives in prison, and over time, you come to really appreciate that simplicity. And that's one of the things in coming home and back into to my home. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> and uh, same thing when I go to my mother's house. You know, there's a lot of stuff, and 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 I a lot of people keep a lot of things on their kitchen counter, for instance. And for me, that stuff creates anxiety. Because I like a clean kitchen counter and I like to wipe stuff off. And um, when you look and in order to wipe off that counter, you got to move the juicer and the toaster (laughs) and the little plant and you got to move 10 things to be able to just wipe off a a counter or you got to move four things to be able to make food. You know, these are things that if you just those that wasn't there, it would just simplify matters. And then all of a sudden it's the the joy of whatever, say, you're cleaning the counter to prepare for food. And you know, then it's about the cooking. So, I mean, there's something to be said about having a simple life and and. Minimizing the amount of stuff that you collect. You know, yes, you may be a collector and you like tennis shoes and you and you have a tennis shoe collection, that's fine. But, you know, it can be a bunch of old mementos that you think are important to you, but they just end up sitting there and they just end up occupying space in your closet. And every time you go to get something out of your closet, you know, you find yourself having to move that thing to the side. Get rid of it.
1: You would hate my apartment. <laughs> yes. Just get so rid it. of it because, because... Uh, <laughs>
2: Having a Spartan life and the the less that you have to manage, the easier it is to be able to be in the moment. And a lot of this is about being in the moment and um, being at peace. And this was something that as I came out of prison and I started getting back into my life, I, the, I, I, I've, I've worked on simplifying and simplifying. And if I had my way, um, I would have very little because, again, I've learned to live with very little and realize that I'm just as happy, if not happier, with very little. And so um, just, you know, look around your life. And ask yourself, where am I collecting things? And are these things? You look at hoarders; they're the, they're the, of course, the, the extreme end of that. But you look at the anxiety and the problems that hoarding creates, and realize that we're all kind of mini hoarders in some way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're holding on to something, and if you really examine why you're holding on to that thing. Um, Sentimental reasons, whatever it may be, you realize that that's really not the, that's really not making you any happier. It, it, it really doesn't need to be there. And so, look around your life and and um, reduce things. And, and realize if you're if you're collecting stuff that's not really that important in the grand scheme of things, let it go. Let it go.
1: I think this is funny because you say, when you bring this up, the first thing that I think about, because we all have that one item that we've had like in our closet for years or something that like literally we will move from house to house to house because we just can't seem to give up on it, even if it's like torn to shreds or whatever it is. For me, in that case, it's actually a shirt that my dad gave me. It says Corvette girl on it. My dad used to own Corvette and he got like me and my sister like matching Corvette shirts. And when I tell you that it's like a size, like for an eight year old child, I'm not kidding you, but I still have it <laughs> in my closet. And there's like, there's a pink stain on it. Like it's not, it's not wearable. It's not, but I just, I can't, every time I've like gone through my clothes, I'm like, oh, well like I should keep this. I, I should really keep this. Cause like it's got a memory behind it and And now that, like, you say these things, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to throw it away, Dad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me wrong. There are times when something does have so much sentimental value that it's worth keeping. But, like, for instance, one of the things I recently did was I... I, I'm a technophile, you know, and I was always in computing and stuff. And I have all, had all these computers that I was afraid to throw the computers away because they had the hard drives in them. So I, over the years, I just stashed all these computers. And, um, you know, they were take my or, garage is very organized. And uh, this was always a sore spot for me because I'm looking over. All these old computers are stacked up. And I have, I mean, uh, storage containers of, of cables. I mean, Ridiculous. cables that I, if I said a SCSI cable, you guys wouldn't even know it was. But old SCSI printer cable. <laughs> <laughs> and USB cables and um, and coax cables and Ethernet cables. And I had boxes of these things. And I, it was always the idea that, well, God... The worst thing, worst is if whatever if I ever needed to hook up a router, a wired router, you know, and I I couldn't find a Ethernet cable, man, how mad I would be that I have so many of these if I threw them out. And I realized, what the hell am I doing? You know, the chances of me having to hook up a wired router in this day and age is slim. And if so, I'll go. I'll make. I'll make a cable. I'll go to the Home Depot. I'll buy some cable for sixteen cents a foot and put a couple of ends on it. And I'll make it for five bucks or whatever. Oh but God. the fact is, is I recently did that. I mean, I had mice and keyboards and, uh, I mean, you name it. Wasn't
1: it was a best buy here, basically. Yeah, and I have all this
2: stuff and it's taking up space in my garage that when I wanted to clean the floor in my garage and I had to move stuff out, every time I would do that, and i do it regularly, I'd pick these damn boxes up and i be like, oh, one of these in. I'm just going to get rid of all this <laughs> stuff because, you know, but I need them, I, I need this, this computer stuff. So recently I did, I, I boxed it all up. And hard drives and all, I didn't take a drill to them or anything like that. I'm like, what whatever data might be on those drives, if someone wants to mine it on a on a 25-year-old hard drive, all the power to them, you know? Yep. So I just boxed it all up and I took it down and I got rid of it, and now I got a nice open deli cart shelf in my garage that if I need to wheel it out, I can. But again, that's that sounds mundane, but the fact is, is that's what I'm talking about. We hold on to a lot of stuff that we think sometime is gonna be important. To us in the yeah. future and really it's not it's just in our way and it's cluttering up our world and it's 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 taking up our own it's taking up space physically and mentally and let it go and minimize and work with just rights right in front of you because then all of a sudden when there's nothing around when you do introduce something it becomes novel and it stands out, and it becomes that much more important. And like I said, you you can extract a condensed appreciation for that particular item. Yeah. In, when the less you have, so that's kind of my my lesson there.
1: Yeah, I love I love that. If you guys ever need a uh, a cable or <laughs> uh, if you need a hookup, a hard drive, I'm not even sure what exactly he was talking about, but uh, let me know. Let me know. I got the the plug.
2: If you're old like I am and you're ever looking for a SCSI interface (laughs) for your printer from 1992, let us know. Just
1: let us know. (laughs) We know where to find
0: it. Yeah. I I love that though. And I think there's an important um, principle that you can apply to, you know, 2020. And that is like, a lot of my friends take ample photos on their phone like their phones are filled with photos and of their selves, of their food, of their pets, whatever. And people will be like I won't get a new phone until all this data can be transferred onto the new phone. And you know, a lot of those photos you're never really going to look back on. You have for me. There are a few favorites that I save and that I transfer to my newfound. But there's something nice for me about having a completely new canvas to start on. Yeah,
2: that that is a an amazing point. That is yeah. so relevant. I mean, because the fact is, is we now have virtual lives, right? And we have we have data, and. Um, you think about that like I, I i i where i work i deal with customers and they have to show us things all the time i work at the home depot and um you know a customer will come in and they'll have a question about a particular product and they want to show you what's going on and they'll flip open their phone and they'll all of a sudden they're scrolling through <laughs> all these pictures and you can see them getting anxious about the fact that they can't find the pictures that they're looking for because I'm sitting here waiting for them to find it so I can help them and oh it's it's here somewhere but that's so (laughs) relevant you know take a look if you're going to clean out one aspect of your life clean out your virtual life look around at the data that you're carrying on your devices and on your computer and get rid of that data too because again that's all noise right It's, it's noise in our mind it's stuff that makes our mind work and have to go through and that's a fantastic point
0: point. 100 and i think it's funny because you know even if you do have these thousands of photos on your new device when are you really going to look at them like you'll have your favorites from trips or whatever and places you've gone but it's like it's like taking photos of fireworks. You know, they're never gonna be the same when you <laughs> right. look at them, and it's never gonna be the same as sitting at a fireworks show. Yeah, and, and you get so <laughs> caught up in trying to get pictures of
1: the fireworks show that you miss you the miss actual the firework fireworks show. show. Yeah, right. Yeah. You
2: miss the event that's supposed to bring you the joy. You know, you're worried yeah. about positioning yourself and what your camera settings are. And I mean, yeah, you take a picture of a great bowl of onion soup that you had at the claim jumper because it was so it looked so good when it came to your table. But when's when when, and why would you ever pull that up at a later time and sit there and go, oh, man, yeah. that that bowl <laughs> of onion soup. Just look at that, can, you know? I
1: can taste it all yeah, over so, again. Yeah.
2: Just, <laughs> just look at that. So, you know, yeah, maybe we just need to limit what we're... <laughs> What we're deeming important in yeah. our lives to, to to kind of archive digitally as well. So. Well, yeah,
1: and I think that goes along with the life lesson that like you don't need to broadcast everything to prove that it happened. Like, and that's what we get caught up a lot in with this like Instagram lifestyle, right? It's like if you didn't get a picture, it didn't happen. Right. And this goes with the idea of like, you know, fear of missing out or bucket list and things like that. It's like you don't need a physical copy or a picture of a moment or a meal or an event that happened to know. Know that it happened, and to and I think the experience is more endurable if you actually get to enjoy the experience. Right, and like and you're, you're not you're not worried it. about
2: recording and documenting. Right. Perfect example is that you know I'm a cyclist and uh, I I um I'm on Strava the app, and a lot of guys who do rides, you know, every time they go out and they do a ride, you know, they have to have the one where they stop and they take a picture of their bike or wherever they're at, or they take the selfie of themselves <laughs> at the top of the five thousand foot climb, you know, and uh, or they take. Uh, I mean, me. I, I've never taken a picture of myself doing a ride, or a picture of my bike, or anything like that. But you know, just recently, I did a I did a hundred mile ride. You know, and there was never uh, any like need for me to have to somehow document to prove to them that I did yeah. this 100 mile ride, that's for me you know, I, I did it really, I did it pretty quick and I, I, I pushed myself and it was 5 hours in the saddle and at the end of all of that, sure my the ride will show up on my Strava profile and someone can look at it but there's going to be nothing that documenting to the world of this is how it looked while I was doing it, but that's what we do you know, not me because I again, I'm, I'm an old guy, I'm 50 years old but you know your generation everything is and still people even my age too they want to take and it's more about how the event appears to the outside world and their um in their social media audience yeah. than it is about how it really appeared to them and that's why you do those things
0: totally i i hate going to festivals and concerts and everyone around you is recording it and you know. If you're watching these videos, you see someone's concert videos on Snapchat, you're not going to watch them, because when you watch them, you hear the person who's filming, like, screaming the words, you hear everybody else's screaming, you can't even see the performer, and when i take videos at concerts i almost never look at them again never
2: (laughs) right and 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 i got you got to ask yourself you know why is that person even taking that video because again it's it's supposed to to enjoy that moment in that moment and take the most extract the most out of that moment in life you have to be completely present to do that and if you're holding a phone recording it even if it's something that's second nature to you the fact is you're not wholly present in that moment to enjoy the most from that you're more worried about being able to demonstrate or show or have someone try to get a snippet of that experience by watching it which according to Callie they're not going to so (laughs) the fact is is that that be forget the phones man and be present in the moment take the most out of the experience because you're doing it for yourself right you're doing it to enjoy it for yourself and if you're doing anything extraneous you're not right there and you're not present
1: yeah Well, we know that we're leaving you guys on a cliffhanger, but we are going to wrap up here for part one of episode eight. The good news is that part two will be released on December 28th. So make sure to come back to get the rest of the life lessons that my dad has learned from prison and we'll see you then.
2: But they'll also find my Strava profile and see that I'm mad on a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this dude, he's riding like a maniac, and he's fast for 50. All right. Okay. I love
1: that. <laughs> <laughs>